But Albert had risen to the demands of what seemed at first to be an untenable position. When his nation needed a leader, King George VI had become a monarch the British could all stand behind. He had ushered the nation through World War II, through the bombings of London that had scarred the city's landscape as well as its psyche, and through the messy aftermath of war. When his people needed a voice, he spoke for them, despite a debilitating stammer. King George VI's funeral at Windsor Castle was impressive. The country was devastated by his death, but there was reason for optimism. His elder daughter, Elizabeth, ascended the throne as Queen Elizabeth II, ushering in a sense of excitement among the British. At just twenty-five, Elizabeth was the future of the monarchy, and the nation's hopes and dreams all seemed to be exemplified by the young, pretty queen, her dashing husband, and her adorable children. Britons looked forward to her lavish coronation set for the following summer. But in truth, seven years after the end of World War II, London was still in crisis. Nearly 70,000 civilians across Britain had been killed during the war, 40,000 from air raids alone, and almost half of those had been in London. The British government still faced an enormous war debt. Rationing of sweets and sugar remained in full force. Smoking tobacco was chic, one small luxury amid the fiercely regulated reality of everyday life. And there was another war sapping the country's resources. More than 12,000 British troops were fighting alongside American soldiers in Korea. In London, crime was becoming an epidemic in much of the city as bombed-out buildings gave criminals safe havens. Police were increasingly outnumbered. And yet there was one industry that was already booming to pre-war numbers. Coal. For years, coal had fueled the country's growth, and by 1952, there was at least one coal fireplace per home, meaning that in London, millions of domestic grates were stuffed into an area of just 600 square miles, just under twice the size of New York City. The fuel was cheap, effective, and crucial. It was the only major source of domestic heating in the city at that time. But the smoke could be suffocating, and the sulfur dioxide released into the air was deadly. It triggered acid rain, strong enough to bend iron, erode statues, poison land, and contaminate waterways. The pollution could destroy lungs and cause cancer. But still, the coal burned. In 1952, almost 40 coal-fired power stations kept London electrified, and more than 20,000 steam locomotives kept the city moving. The politics of big coal were no less murky than the air it produced. Coal, it turned out, was one of the few thriving international industries remaining in post-war Britain. More than 250 million tonnes were mined domestically every year. It was a key export for the country at a time when national budgets were tight. More than 700,000 workers were employed in British coal mines. Politicians weren't ignorant of the environmental concerns of burning huge quantities of coal every year, but their hands seemed tied. The Conservative Party, also known as the Tories, was led by Prime Minister Winston Churchill, the country's ailing but still potent leader. The Conservatives knew that any attempt to constrain the coal industry could be devastating to a vulnerable British economy. Their main opposition, the Labour Party, was anxious to use the country's massive debt as a weapon in the upcoming election. So the government was keeping up a brisk pace in international coal sales, 
but it was selling its best domestic coal to other countries and reserving the cheaper coal for its own people. This cheaper coal, a brown dust with bits of coal, was a soft material, a poor replacement for the more expensive black coal still being rationed. It went by the nickname Nutty Slack, and, though it was far inferior to black coal, it was all that most Londoners could afford in those desperate post-war times. It took enormous amounts of nutty slack to heat the average home. The cheaper brown coal was inefficient and much dirtier to burn, which created more smoke and more pollution. But most politicians in Parliament were certain that exporting black coal and selling the nutty slack domestically was a crucial cost-saving decision. Britain was desperate. Smokeless fuel wasn't economically realistic or widely available. In 1952, London entered winter with its largest stock of coal of all...